Hi, this is Karen Rowland, founder of Hush Providence. Welcome to my new weekly well-being podcast, Real People, Real Conversations, Real Life. We'll be talking about all things relating to the human experience. What makes up a life? What creates joy and happiness? What makes humans the same or different? How do we care for ourselves and each other? We'll even try to answer the five W's of well-being. Who, what, when, where, and why. And how this all fits together. A little ambitious? Maybe. But join us as we connect with local topic experts, peers, mentors, and healers. Hi, welcome to today's episode of Hush Providence, a well-being podcast. I'm so excited to introduce Katie McDonald, one of my favorite humans. Welcome, Katie. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So Katie is the founder of Be Nourished, which she started in 2011. She's a self-care strategist, a one-on-one concierge coach, professional keynote speaker, and a 2016 Leadership Rhode Island graduate. Can you please share your personal story of self-discovery and how that led you to be nourished? Oh, well, I would love to say that I am such an enlightened being that I could have figured it out without having to get sick, without having to have ulcerative colitis, pneumonia, shingles, asthma, allergies, depression, anxiety, weight issues. I mean, the list goes on, but I needed all of those as a catalyst for me to wake up to snap out of the delusion of what it is to be a human, which is often we're asleep um, about our responsibility to ourselves. So I chose self-neglect over productivity, or I chose self-neglect so that I could, in my own mind, be productive, get a lot of things done. But in the process, I became a human doing and not the human being. And my body had to break down, my mind had to break down in order for me to learn to take care of myself. And, and I discovered in doing so that when I take care of myself, I am more impactful. I'm leaving a better legacy. I am more productive. And it was something I had to learn, unfortunately, the hard way. In your keynote speech, self-care isn't selfish. Maybe you could sort of define what self-care is, talk about why it's so important, and any actionable suggestions you might have that we can do to sort of intentional strategies that we can incorporate into our lives. Yeah, those are great questions. Um, So self-care is properly defined as the act of, of taking actions to preserve one's health. But to most of us, it's cringeworthy indulgence, superficial pampering, and bonbons. And what self-care is, is actually parenting ourselves. It's doing the things we sometimes don't want to do in the moment, but we do in service to our future selves. We don't wait till we feel like working out. We go for a walk and um, maybe even go for a walk with a colleague um, because we know that we have a responsibility to our body to move it um, at regular intervals. Um, It is going to sleep when we feel like watching another Netflix. We're Mm -hmm. binging on Netflix, interrupting that to say, wow, like I really want to have a good day tomorrow. I've got an important podcast. I want to be at my best. So I'm going to go to sleep, um, sleep at a time that I know works for me. So that's what self-care is. It's, it's caring for ourselves, showing up for ourselves the way we show up for everyone else. And um, how we start, I think that was one of your questions is how do we even start to put it into practice? And as you and I have talked in our many conversations, it's, um, it's about acknowledging that we do have this core belief that self-care is selfish, that it's guilt producing. It is, um, we don't think we have permission 
And so sometimes it requires the extreme of getting sick, the extreme of saying, I can't do this anymore, really breaking down for us to, to wake up and understand, no, that when I'm not at my best, I am not serving the work, I'm not serving the people I care about, I am compromising the contribution I make to the world. So in fact, self-neglect is selfish. When I got sick, everything shut down. All the people that I thought I had to make sure I could take care of were all of a sudden forced to take care of me because I was so incapacitated. The work that I thought was life or death all of a sudden was no longer important as I'm racing from doctor to doctor and appointment to appointment, um, pharmacy to pharmacy, to try to repair the damage and the consequences of self-neglect. So I've come to understand that actually when we neglect ourselves, we are creating the very version of ourselves that I found so abhorrent, like this high maintenance person. I wanted to protect everyone else from my needs. And the fact is that when we don't take care of ourselves, we are creating needs that weren't there in the first place. We're creating chaos in a world that needs us at our best. Can you talk a little bit about the role of nutrition in self-care? I know that yeah. you're, you're a sort of whole foods. Um, you've been doing that for decades. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, I think, you know, self-care is about self-awareness. It's about being curious about ourselves, more curious about ourselves than the postured lives of strangers on social media. Okay. And it starts with how do we feed ourselves? And that's why when I started my concierge practice, concierge coaching practice, I called it Be Nourished because I really believed that self-care was about nourishing ourselves at every level. But it starts at the most basic, which is how do we feed ourselves and for most of the people that I encounter, they are high achievers. They are love being productive. They think that self-care, they have to choose self-care or productivity. And um, they're well-respected and they are the person you turn to to get things done. When you have something you need to get done, these are the people you go to. But they come to me because they can't do it anymore. They are borrowing future energy. They no longer are able to create and generate energy through their habits. They're not sleeping. They're not eating well. They're not managing their minds well. Um, but to all the rest of us, they have it all together. And so I start with food because I've got to get my clients in a receptive mode. I have to be able to access and excavate the energy so that they can start changing other aspects of their lives, so that they can claim the birthright of having an intentional life on their terms, their time, their way. And we can't do that until we have the stamina and vitality and resiliency to do that. So it starts as foundational, as foundationally as food. What do we ingest? Each of us has different needs. We have to become curious about ourselves and we start studying how do we feed ourselves? When I eat this, I feel this. It starts with the food record everybody hates. I know, blah, blah, blah. We all hate it, but <laughs> self-care doesn't mean we get to do what we want all the time. That's not adulthood, right? So we can only really change what we track. So I ask all my clients to keep a food record, not to measure calories or any of those distractions, but to understand what choices they're making and how it's playing out in the rest of their lives. We think that we don't have time to make meals. You know, oh, it's an afterthought. We grab whatever's convenient. And then we wonder why we have no more energy, why the aches and pains and the itises, right? The too much heat, the colitis, the arthritis, they're showing up for us, the too muchness. 
um, it's because we've neglected the most basic, basic human need, which is feeding ourselves. And by writing it down, you know, we all have selective amnesia. So this totally. way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my clients often take pictures. I get a photo of it. I don't need every detail. And I ask them to take the picture before they take the bite because there's no way we remember what we eat. No way. Right. But we start- it's all about sort of healthy consumption. It's like in everything. It's what we're eating. It's what we're watching. It's what who we're listening to. That's right. It's all of that. Right. I love that. That's such a great point. I, I think it's about, it's we are consumers, but most of our consumption is done in a reactive way, it's done in an unconscious way. And so this is an opportunity for us to wake up and to become conscious, not through shame. Like most of us, you know, when we look at ourselves, we look at our habits, the first thing that arises if we've not been paying attention is shame. And that is not the place to bring about change. I tried that. I leveraged shame over and over again to try to bring about change. And it worked for years until it didn't. And then I had to replace that with compassion, with curiosity. I asked my clients to be curious about themselves and to understand they're empowered to change any aspect except their genetics. They can influence their genetics, but there are realities in our lives, of course, but we have so much more power than we think we do. And I'm asking my clients habit by habit, bite by bite, thought by thought to reclaim that power, that birthright, that responsibility and privilege to take care of ourselves. You talk about um, the importance of a mindful lifestyle and to ask ourselves certain questions to check in with ourselves, like, who am I? What do I need now? What am I feeling? Just periodically throughout the day and making choices accordingly. Well, again, it's back to that slumber that we all fall into that, you know, somebody asks us to do something and all of a sudden we're off in that direction. And this pops up, we're squirrel brain. And <laughs> what I ask is, is we create these little windows, these little pauses where we can reflect and answer, what do I need? I think most of the chaos and the suffering comes from us not tending to our own needs. We create chaos everywhere because we're frantically trying, like somebody that's um, you know drowning, just trying to grab whatever um, to survive. We're in this survival state instead of this this loving, curious, present state to be like, hey, what do I need? Most of us are asking, what do I need to do for everyone else? But what do I need is a question we're not asking ourselves. And if we did and then honored whatever answer came up, and we're not going to like most of the answers a lot of times, it's going to be like, what do I need? I need to go to bed early. It's like, well, I want to watch Ted Lasso, you know, whatever it is. It's like, you know, we, we, there's, we just learn to repair the relationship we have with ourselves. Start asking ourselves questions as a way to tune in. Because many of us, we wake up, we stare at our screens. And immediately what we're doing is we're tuning out our own needs, our own self-awareness, and we're tuning in to the world. How can we possibly navigate our lives intentionally when we're so outwardly directed, where we're being good girls and boys, showing up for everybody else, but neglecting ourselves? And now a shout out to our sponsor, The Good Seed Market, 138 Central Avenue, Seekonk, Massachusetts. Started in 1989 by three friends with a goal of creating a neighborhood market offering simple, natural, organic products for a healthy lifestyle. Now a member of the independent Natural Foods Retailer Association, our friends at The Good Seed are offering our listeners a 10% discount on their first purchase just by mentioning Hush Providence. The Good Seed Market, 
a place where ideas can grow. So on your website, you have what, which is what I love, Katieisms. <laughs> number number twenty eight. <laughs> Being still is an act of defiance in a world that celebrates chaos. I love that. Mm, yeah, it's. I have found the very thing that I was so terrified of my entire life was being still and quiet. And that was where the addiction to busyness came from. That in the quietness, in the quiet, in the stillness, what I might experience is the ways in which my life isn't going the way I want it. Um, The hurts, the disappointments, everything that we avoid is in the silence. That's why people struggle when they fall to sleep because all of a sudden the demons, (laughs) our dragons come out and um, we've worked all day to try to avoid them. And so sometimes we'll watch TV right to the very last minute with the hope that we'll just pass out from sheer exhaustion. So when I discovered that actually the stillness had all the very answers that I was trying to get through, you know, any, but any book, any guru, any course, anywhere, I was desperately any, you know, oh, take this supplement, try this diet. I looked everywhere for all these solutions and all the answers were inside. Mm -hmm. If I could tolerate the moments of stillness, allow the hush to reference your work. Thank you. I'll end. I'll, I will just put it back on you and say it might be a good time to have a cup of tea, which is <laughs> maybe you could just kind of talk about the whole tea ceremony because I think that's so, it's something everyone can do. Yes. So the reason that I leverage, um, the act of making a cup of tea, it can be any warm beverage, but I particularly have a fondness for tea, is um, because the the antidote to busyness, the antidote to this um, internal whirl is activating our senses. So, you know, we're, we're living neck up, right? We're hanging out in our heads. And the way we can take the elevator down into this moment, into our bodies, reconnect the two, create a reunion um, of our of ourselves, the, of our you know the parts of ourselves, is to activate the senses. We start inhabiting the body, and so a cup of tea allows us for the taste, the smell, the sound of the of the water boiling, um, the touch of the warm cup. All of the I missed one sight sound. What did I miss? Taste, <laughs> taste, of course, taste. Thank you. <laughs> All of those senses are present in the moment of having from starting the boiling the water to having the last sip. So I give this homework to my clients in the very beginning, which is to ask them to have a cup of tea in silence. And these high achievers who just impress us all, when you you look under the hood, they're just like all of us. We are united in our humanity and our avoidance of the quiet, especially in our American culture. So that is the homework assignment. And it's among many in that um, particular session. But that is a homework assignment that everyone, they want to avoid. I hear excuses. It's hysterical. I mean, it's funny after all these years of doing, you know, almost 15 years of doing this concierge coaching to observe the resistance that we have to being in our own company, how excruciatingly uncomfortable it is for us to sit with ourselves and to not do. Many lessons there for sure. Yes. Well, I actually had a client say to me today, um, if I'm not doing, am I even existing? What value am I bringing? It's like, wow. 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 
And I know that's relatable. I felt that way before. I hear it over and over again. This is our culture, particularly for women, but not exclusively for women. Bringing yourself to the moment. I know you have a new puppy. <laughs> Chester, and I'm Chester. sure he, he he's sort of ruling everything that's happening around you right now. <laughs> Eight pounds of disruption. Oh. Yes. <laughs> but I'm sure you're enjoying every moment of that as well. So well, it's the play and it's the presence. I mean, how like mm-hmm. no matter what's happening, when when he flips on his back and throws his legs in the air and starts snoring, it's like how it it's such a relief to actually just interrupt. Um that, that train of activity to just observe and witness yeah. and delight. And just I don't be, think we yeah. have enough delight in our lives. I think we have a lot of responsibilities, but those moments of delight are slipping away. Can you talk a little bit about your planner? Because it's not like any other planner that ever was. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Well, I have to first admit I'm obsessed with planners, like some, from a little <laughs> girl. I mean, literally, I think I was, must've been six or seven when I started planning and I would buy these little journals and I would buy them all. And I never found what was right. Every year I would get a new one and I would study them really early on, like what works, what doesn't work. And I could never be consistent. I would always forget what I said I wanted to do. Like it just, and it became, it was weaponized against me. It was Mm -hmm. evidence of what I failed in doing instead of really holding me up and, and then as I got older and entered my career in um, advertising for Time Inc., it was all productivity. It was this, this is my work, this is my work planner. And there was no, and it's not like I had a personal planner. It was just, there was no room for the personal. I had crowded it out with my career. And so when I um, would continue to talk to clients about a tool for, just as you said, how do we recalibrate at different points during the day? How do we check in with ourselves? The planner was the way that I did it. I started creating a planner that I wanted, that took all the elements um, that I had studied all these decades and put it all in one place. And the difference was, I want to honor that you want to get stuff done. Like, I I do. Don't take that away from me. I won't take it away from you. I'm actually going to help you fuel it and give you the stamina and the clarity to be able to make the right choices about what you take on to create boundaries so you understand this is my work. I'm not compensating and over-functioning for other people. I am actually intentional and directed in my actions. But that requires a, um, a commitment to self-care. So it is, it is a planner that honors productivity and, and leverages self-care as a tool to be able to get the right things done in our personal and professional lives. So no longer separating the two and understanding the same person is showing up Um, If we're going to be authentic beings, we want the same version of us showing up um, and to bring the same integrity to our personal lives as we do to our work lives. So important. Such an important message. Um, You've talked about reading The Road Less Traveled as a young girl. (laughs) So my question for you is, what would you tell that little girl today? Oh my gosh, your questions are so good. I'm so glad you're doing this work. Really, um, we need this. What question would I, would I say? Well, I would encourage her to forfeit being a good girl. I spent a lot of my life trying to be a good girl, like just doing what I was supposed to do, um, you know, making sure that people liked me. I did the polite thing, the appropriate thing. And what I have to say to that is screw that. That made me sick. That made me miserable. That made me depressed. 
that made me unwell. And, and I see that even another client I was talking to, same thing. I was like, you know what? That sniffs like good girl stuff. How's that working for you? You can't be a good girl or good boy and be good to yourself. They cannot coexist. So what I would tell her is choose you. And I promise you, you will be a better friend, ultimately a better wife, um, a better, you know, employee or entrepreneur or whatever that path is, you're going to be better because you chose yourself first. And, and it's such a cliche, but the bottom line is when we have repaired and restored ourselves, we have so many more reserves to share with the world and to do it in a loving way instead of a gritted teeth, resentful way, which is how so many of us give. I just want to touch a little bit on place and environment, because I know you've recently transitioned from the country to the city, yes. <laughs> giant move for you and your family. Um, but I think that it does play an important role in, in how, what we surround ourselves with. Yes, it absolutely does. I, I've always been organized. I literally, my husband to this day laughs that I uh, label clear containers. He thinks I'm going to label his forehead one day that says husband. <laughs> I, uh, it's true, but I was trying to make sense of the world. The world didn't make sense. The world felt chaotic. My inner world felt chaotic. I didn't know how to care for myself. And one of the ways that I did would um, care for myself and nurture myself in a healthy way that I had lots of unhealthy ways of doing it. Sugar being a great example, but the healthy way is to um, create an environment that was soothing to me. And I slept with a baby blanket. I mean, I, I the baby blanket I was wrapped in when I was born um, was like one of the ways that soft, tactile experience, again, back to the senses. But I would organize a drawer. Even when I was little, I would just organize a drawer and I would feel this calm come over me. So I started discovering that self-care can be... Um, expressed and needs to be expressed in our home and work environments. And often, um, you know, we're recreating something we see in a catalog, right? Like, oh, this is what you're supposed to have. Like a lot of people have dining rooms. It's like, do you do you like a dining room? Like, do you need a dining room? Does that work for you? And I, I turned our dining room in our previous house into a library, because that's what I'd, ra I'd rather be surrounded by books. I'm not a formal person. I don't need to be in a formal environment. So start asking yourself, not what looks good, what functions for my life. I had um, a client, you know, embrace the tea concept, like just it changed her life. She had never experienced moments of quiet. And when she did, what she found is like, we just had her bring a tray up of tea on her counter. So she'd walk into her house and there was this tray saying, this matters to you. This is a ritual that works for you. She didn't have to dig around and get past the bowl of, you know, fake fruit or whatever was supposed to be on the counter. It was right there. Everywhere she turned then, once she started with that, she had reminders of who she, her best self is and what her best self requires. Soft, you know, soft um, places to slow down and to curl up in. Beautiful flowers like your tulips to remind you of the beauty. It wakes us up into a better version of ourselves. And that's what I want to, I want our environments to do. That's why the planner is tactile and, and beautiful because I want you to interact with the best version of you. And, and the just have only it all way accessible. It. Have it yes. accessible, yeah. That's yeah. right. So this was amazing. As always, I, lo I love our conversations. I could go on all day. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. And I also want to mention 
for people to get in touch with you, your website is www.b, the letter B, nourished.com. And I also yes. want to comment your LinkedIn um, presence has just been re-energized and I'm loving all of the posts that you're putting out there right oh, now. I'm so people so should glad. check that out. Yeah, for sure. Please and do. again, you're so generous. You're offering a 15% discount on the planner with the code HUSH for anyone yes. that's listening. So thank you so much for joining us today. And for everyone that's listening, thank you so much. And until next time, be well. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Katie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Hush Providence, a well-being podcast. This would not be possible without the incredible help from Jamie Farinella and Stephanie Whitehead on branding and logo concept, John Papa's endless generosity, David Davignon and Austin Lynch for their skilled technical expertise, and of course, our amazing guests and all of you, our listeners. Until next time, be well.